0: I have something that I got for my birthday from our top listener, Mark. Okay. Because he told me that he missed the old cold open kind of transition. So this can be one of our really short cold opens, and I'll just go into it and you'll hear what the gift is. (laughs) It's back, baby. I love it. And this one... This one I'm, I'm hiding from my kids so that they don't break it.
1: It's good. Uh, it sounds like a good, good quality one too. It sounds it's good. Well, you good know, solid sound to it. Uh,
0: yeah, it is. It's nice. It's nice. And also, I think I was holding them the wrong way before, um, <laughs> and then realized it later. So, there's all sorts of regrets I have about the early years of this podcast, where it's just like, oh, you had the mic on the wrong setting, and you were holding the kazoo backwards, and all that good stuff. It's
1: all right. We're we're entering our golden age now. Yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, yeah, it was. You know, it's like it's like in. Star Trek uh, TNG, they didn't get good until season three, so... That's, that's right. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're into year three now, I think, so maybe we should start getting good My God. Uh, <laughs> uh, hi, everybody, and welcome to Out of Contract, the show where two guys who've seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan
1: Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle.
0: And today we are talking about business as usual, which is Star Trek Deep Space Nine, season five, episode 18, it was written by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, and it was directed by Alexander Siddig using his given name Siddig el Fadil. Oh really. I didn't catch that yep. but nice. And uh, this is a really short memory alpha description. maybe maybe the shortest one we've ever read actually. Quark's cousin Gala offers him a job as a weapons dealer and that's that's the whole description. Okay, which is uh, odd for Memory Alpha because I think it actually kind of does under-explain what happens in this episode, which is which is rare. I feel like usually they really they really get down in there and kind of you know I'm not sure what what prevented the person who wrote that from also adding in. Meanwhile, O'Brien tries to get his kid to sleep. Yeah, and you know, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So this is kind of mid to late period uh, DS9 episode. It's a Frangie episode, which you know I'm always super down for. I I liked this episode quite a bit. Uh it's a little bit more low key I think than some Frenky episodes and like it's it's not like fully I wouldn't say it's like fully dramatic or fully comedic, but it's like a little bit darker for like an episode about Frenky stuff. I don't know. I i was into it. Uh what'd you think of this episode?
1: I I thought it was okay. i d I don't know that it really kept my kept me super engaged. Um Sure. It was just kinda like a story that happened. Um and like you said, and meanwhile, o'brien like kind of unrelated to anything else that's going on just spends the entire episode trying to get his baby to go to sleep and then at the end it does yeah um,
0: <laughs> so foreshadowing though because uh there is a there's like a whole episode later on in the show which i don't think we've watched where wharf has to watch
1: yeah no we did yeah we she... did watch that one because oh, it's the okay, same episode it, okay. that um that molly o'brien like time travels um and so oh, while, right, yeah like o'brien and and uh keiko are like taking care of Like, grown-up Molly, um... Worf, Worf and Jed Z because it's after Worf and Jed Z are together and so Worf like volunteer they will volunteer to take care of the kid and yeah Worf's that's really right, great that,
0: in that that's one. yeah because that, that's the one with the um it, it's a really t- bad the a plot is so bad but then the like that's the one with his little speech his speech about like I can do I've done all these things so I can babysit this kid yeah you know, I can, like, I will make yeah. this child stop crying yeah yeah, yeah it's it's real good yeah.
1: Worf is great in that. Worf is just great in, t- in deep space nine I've discovered from like yep. the few ones that we've seen of him yeah he He's really, he's like, really good. He, yeah. I yeah. don't know. Cause I, I know we've talked before. I mean, we've talked I'm sure a few, multiple times about how Worf kind of has the biggest arc over several seasons of television of being like pretty lame and no one liking him when he first yeah. sh- was on next generation and then kind of by late next generation, then especially into deep space nine became like one of the coolest characters. Yeah. And yeah. I know you've said before that, you know, the next generation, it's kind of, pretty clear that the writers just didn't know how to write for him um mm-hmm. kind of in the same way that like they didn't know how to write for like any of the female characters on star trek for quite a while yeah um and but i wonder i mean i i guess i haven't looked into was there actually like kind of a significant change in the writing stuff i mean i guess i guess so especially from early tng because deep space Nine yeah they, they had a ton a, of like, a ton Greek of turnover yeah. era of of stuff
0: yeah t- yeah, TNG. The first, the first like couple seasons, there are very, very few holdovers from that time period. And then, I feel like uh, I, I guess I haven't really looked into like how the writing staffs worked on Voyager and and uh, and DS nine. But like, I feel like all the time, like we're just we're still just seeing, which, which I think this happened on the original series too, where you just like you click on someone's name who wrote an episode, and you're just like, oh okay, this person wrote one episode, like this one episode, and then went away. Like yeah, uh, they probably had a lot of. You know, I was doing a little bit of research on the the next TNG episode we're gonna watch, which is not <laughs> it's coming up a, a couple yeah. of a couple of episodes from now. Uh, but like that guy, I was like, who wrote this? And it was just like, yep, just some guy. Like he, this <laughs> that like was not like on the staff. It didn't seem like or you know he, he only ever wrote that and it, like and then like he had re- you know the, his previous credit was like he had written some fantasy island episodes and then like that that episode of star trek was the last thing he ever wrote like
1: huh.
0: um uh but yeah so i i it, it seemed like a very strange those first couple years seemed like a very weird uh work environment which again i would i would i would uh highly recommend if anyone is like curious about that to re to 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 watch that that documentary, the Chaos on the Bridge documentary. Well, yeah, by com- By comparison, this episode, the two people who wrote this episode, they both wrote 12 episodes of DS9. So they were, you know, I think pretty embedded into the staff. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're really, if anyone wants to recommend me, like, some good behind-the-scenes books about Star Trek... It feels like there really isn't like a definitive, like, imperial era of Star Trek book. And it seems like there should be. Like, that seems like it would be like a fascinating book to read. And, you know, I, I see all these yeah. references to books in the, in the, uh, in like the, the little footnotes for Memory Alpha, but they're all always just kind of like episode guides or kind of like official handbook type things. And it's like, I, I want like the unofficial handle
1: book you know i want yeah just someone like, that like, like behind the scenes when, like got got the stories from all the people involved and yeah yeah
0: like it's something i yeah it's like I, I don't really don't have any connections to like write that book but like there's part of me that's like it just feels like a a, a good book like it just it feels yeah. like a really good book like this this like you know the the end of roddenberry into like the berman uh era but anyhow um but yeah Worf not actually in this episode very much <laughs> Uh, we we did mention him, uh, but but uh, this is mostly a quirk episode, and then kind of a few other characters kind of come into his orbit. So so yeah. why don't you uh, why don't you take us into the to the show?
1: Yeah, so so from what I can tell, because we pretty recently watched the Ferengi Love Songs episode, which I think is a little after this, but kind of is. I think so, yeah. But so because it sound. It sounded like from sort of when he was first talking to Dax and being like, sort of like worried about money and that sort of thing, that this is after, this is also after he had been like banned from the Commerce Guild or the FCA. Yes, yes. This is,
0: this is, this is, this is after the, uh, him trying to sell his, sell his body parts.
1: Yeah, because when this first started, I kind of, I like wondered if this was going to be that episode, but yeah, I think it, yeah, it sounded like this was after that, so. Basically, that episode is just called body parts. So, oh, anyway, just just like,
0: yeah. <laughs> when you when you see body parts, you're like I wonder what that's about. It's about when he sells his body parts. Okay.
1: <laughs> you know, sometimes they come up with some great creative names, and sometimes they are on a deadline. I guess I don't know. Well,
0: we're recording this the week after the Franky Lofthong's episode came out, and I was re-listening to that, and I was re- I was re- reflecting again on the unforgivable sin that that episode was originally called how quirk acquired acquired his his back back. (laughs) so
1: yeah uh yeah
0: sometimes sometimes they 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 back away
1: yeah real missed near missed there yeah so essentially presumably kind of in relation to that and because of that um quirk is slowly running out of money and has had to take out loans and kind of is at risk of completely losing his bar and is sort of worried about this and then his cousin yeah, his Another cousin Gala
0: who who is yeah. who's been who is frequently mentioned on the show. This is the only time I think he's on this sh- he actually it's on the show, up. actually, but he's frequently mentioned as like this kind of evil cousin that he has.
1: Yeah. So his cousin shows up and essentially like offers him kind of a a way out of like, you know, no, I, I know that you're out of money and you're gonna lose your bar and you can make all the money you could ever want if you help me deal weapons. And it sounds like he this is something that like this is a conversation they've had before and Quark has always said, you know, because it's a Federation station, it they would get caught if like if they were actually transporting weapons through like using the station to to move weapons that they would get caught and would be breaking the law and, and would get in a lot of trouble.
0: And one one sense is too that Quark already is like a little feels a little bit at, not at ease about this like 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 it it's it, that's part of it but also just like maybe he's not really super into the idea of selling weapons
1: yeah you know. and he kind of uses that as as like his out of saying like well yeah. you know we would like someplace like this we would definitely get caught and what and but the idea that they've come up with is that they'll actually they'll use the hollow suites in Quarks bar to do sort of like showings of the weapons um, like essentially you have like hollow gun shows so that people can come and like try out these holographic version of the weapons and then like make the purchase and then someone else takes care of the actual like transporting to them and um and that but this is just where the kind of the demonstration and sale takes place and because there's no actual weapons involved there technically is like nothing to catch and no like contraband that um they can get caught with
0: yeah it's it's uh i I think that's one reason why i like this episode as much as i do is that i think that's a really cool idea like the like the the idea of like basically coming up with like this weird gun show loophole but it's but it's like well technically there are any weapons here at all what do you yeah like yeah Yeah. because
1: because i think think they even do get like it it's at one point later in the episode like everyone knows what they're doing but again like Quark all himself, hate it. it yeah and everyone hates it but Quark himself is not technically doing anything illegal because all he's doing is just sort of like hosting these hollow programs that people come into
0: right you know it's like yeah he's he's you know you, you, you wouldn't get him in trouble for like the the hollow programs where uh where the klingons use them to kill all these people or or you right. know like they he they frequently talk about how he has a series of holo novels called Vulcan love slave. You know, those aren't, <laughs> those aren't getting into trouble. So like, why, why would this?
1: Yeah. And so, so he starts doing this and, and, uh, Gala brings in his sort of like the main guy he works for that kind of runs this gun sale racket who is named, named Haggith. I think that that's Haggith, right? Um, there's a bunch of, is that, Haggith that, or or I, thought that I
0: thought Haggith might be the other guy, the, 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 like, the, the king at the end. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe
1: not yeah i think that i think that's haggith because the okay. other guy is like the yeah the you're, right. you're right yeah i think so he's like the, the other guys guy just, may, not, may not have a name he's just the regent yeah regent of palomar um yeah so quirk meets um kind of the boss the guy that runs this whole operation haggith who is very like <laughs> i i wrote down like does not know the meaning of the phrase overdoing it um yeah like, very, very much plays his character, like, to the hilt.
0: It's, I, I think it's fun, though. He's, he's like, super arch. It's maybe, like, a little bit much, I guess, for some people, but I, I enjoyed him.
1: Yeah. They kind of does, the, you know, does, when he, he does this kind of very, like, uh, m- mellifluous, what's the word? Like, elifluous? The- m- mellifluous. Mellifluous, where he's just kind of, like, very outgoing and, like, welcoming and friendly, and then will immediately turn, like, whenever anybody displeases him, immediately turns to being like terrifyingly evil yeah and gets super angry and has these kind of outbursts of rage and has people murdered
0: oh i'm actually looking it up because i was just curious if i had seen him in a because he looked kind of familiar to me um and because i think he looks a little bit like uh i know he's not Terrence stamp but i think he looks a little bit like Terrence stamp but okay yeah but uh he plays uh, General General Orlov in Octopussy, the James Bond movie. He, oh, really? He, or, okay. He's yeah, so he's like one of the, like the, the
1: He seems like he could and, he could be a Bond villain pretty easily. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah that guy. That, his his performance in that is is very crazy. Also. Uh, in a fun way
1: (laughs) yeah and basically they kind of they start to make a lot of money and you kind of get these moments of like for most of it quark is kind of basically living the good life of you know they he has this like benefactor who can kind of give him whatever he wants and they're making a lot of money and he's getting his debts paid off but then every now and then like that guy will do something like shady or scary or kind of take corgicide and like in a low voice low voice like threaten him of just like like don't cross me or you know like well i know what's best for you so
0: well he even like you know there's at one point where like someone who was working with with uh Haggath comes comes aboard the the station and has made some kind of mistake and so Haggath basically sabotages his ship so it explodes you know not very long after
1: yeah, like when he leaves and kills him.
0: Yeah, so, so then Quark has this additional fear of like, oh, well, even if I ever do decide not to go work with this guy anymore, maybe he'll just kill me.
1: What was yeah. And then essentially, kind of as this is all going on, the, the Deep Space Nine crew sort of figure out what's going on, like Odo and Cisco and Kira and them kind of find out what's going on. But they can't, you know, again, because of this kind of loophole that Quark's not actually doing anything wrong. And then it turns out that because during... When the like Bajoran kind of rebellion, Haggiths would sell or provide weapons to the Bajorans, and so the Bajoran government kind of like feels like they're in his debt and has this like is will not let them sort of like prosecute or, or arrest him or like throw him off the station.
0: Right, because he I think he actually even says at one point that they didn't really buy the weapons from him. He just kind of like, he just kind of gave them to them. It, and sort of in exchange for hey like if and when you win
1: yeah to kind of you know, be owed a favor I
0: get some I get some political favors
1: yeah. out of this and and at the, there's like that part and a few others when they kind of talk about you know it's very much the kind of Lord of War like the typical arms dealer thing of viewing conflicts and wars where like lives are involved and lost entirely as kind of business deals and like war is kind of the you know war is good for business and he he talks to Quirk about that that part because quark is like well why would you give weapons to people who can't pay you for them and he says like well i knew because like the bajorans were fighting for like something they cared so much about i knew eventually they would win and so then i would want them to to owe me a favor and so it has this kind of very like economic and kind of analytic view to to things like war and it's always just looking at like what will kind of end up paying off most for him in the long term and so be kind of because of this sort of quirk starts getting the cold shoulder from everybody else on the station that like used to be his friends are now just really mad at him for for being a part of something like this
0: yeah and he's particularly hurt by by Dax kind of rejecting him because he's already had he's always had like a somewhat antagonistic relationship with Cisco and Kira you know and
1: yeah and Odo and that
0: and Odo but like you know Dax kind of likes Ferengi, you know, they, they like to play, play cards together and she likes to hang out at the bar. And, and so, you know, he really kind of, you know, feels, you know, e- even though he's kind of trying to tell her, like, I don't have anything to apologize for, you know, she's like, well, clearly yeah, he you still know, like, believe wants, that. like he,
1: wants that like approval.
0: Yeah. He's like, she's like, clearly you don't believe that because you're trying to like, justify yourself to me, you know? And yeah. So I think she gets, she gets some good, some good scenes in this yeah. as well. Terry Farrell does.
1: Yeah. Um, and then... Kind of the the thing that ends up sort of bringing it all to a head is that this the this the region of Palomar essentially comes and is offering sort of like the biggest deal they've ever had and has essentially like one of his I think it's his I guess it's just his uh, for some reason I thought it was like a relative it was like his daughter or sister or something but it says it's just like an ally of his like one of his generals has started this rebellion. And so he essentially wants to like commit genocide on this world and is looking for like a bioweapon or something like that. That'll kill like, you know, millions and millions of, of people. And just kind of the way they, they talk about like the way they have that conversation where they're just talking about it in terms of kind of like how many millions of people on this world it'll kill, like really starts to bother Quark and like really make him start to have a conscience about this.
0: The uh, the the regent, by the way, played by Lawrence Tierney, who also plays uh, the mob boss Cyrus Redblock and Yeah, uh, I the saw that. The,
1: yeah, the kind of like very just classic mob boss type character. Like he just kind of fits that role pretty perfectly. Yeah. And so you know, Quark kind of is, starts to talk with like his cousin and that about like you know should we really be doing something that's going to kill twenty million people? And very much gets the response of you know. Like it's gonna make us a lot of money, and also we can't back out now because we know that if you cross um, Haggath, then like he'll definitely just kill you. Like you, don't, you can't. You're kind of in too deep, and you can't make him mad or.
0: Yeah, I I think though too like part part of it is is just you get some philosophizing there from from Haggath and from Gala, especially about kind of why it's okay for them to do this. Like, which is yeah, which is, they do obviously to. like they both they both just like money but but like the way they talk about it it was kind of like it's just it's just all math you know it's just all like well someone was gonna someone was going to do this anyway and and you know uh the 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 scene what i think i really like is when kind of cork is looking out a window and gala comes up to him and he says you know look at all of these stars out there like there's people on all these stars like but there's just so many, and it's, it's just like, you know, if someone's going to pay you this much Latin, I'm like, is it really that big of a thing if you just kind of, like, help one's, one of those stars go out? You know, just kind of, like, really abstracting it to, to this,
1: yeah. this kind of... Yeah, they kind of, like, you know, millions of people die all the time, and, like, you don't know anything about it, so if there's a right. chance to also get paid a bunch, like, yeah, what does it matter to you type thing?
0: Yep, and, yeah, I... Yeah, I th- I think like that's a key scene, and then I think also like another key scene is you know a little bit earlier when they're prepping for the regent to arrive. There's this <laughs> there's this weird like scene where Quark is showing all this food that he got for the regent, and then Haggath kind of says to him, "Are you kidding me? This this looks terrible. He's gonna hate it." And then they just and then he was just like. Haha, ha, I was yeah, just kidding. Gotcha, I, I got you. I got you good. And it, yeah. it's just like, that's not a joke, but like, th- like the way he did it was, it was like not funny. But then I think that's also kind of the point of that scene. It's just that like, it, I think both of those scenes kind of like work together in two different ways to kind of illustrate that. Quark is on the precipice of of actually like foregoing his soul, you know, in the pursuit of profit, which is funny because it's something that he's always kind of wanted and always kind of thought that he was ready to do was that like, hey, like if it comes down to pre- me between me having a conscience and making a lot of money, I like I want to make yeah. a lot of money, and I think a the the the. The ethical, you know, magnitude of what he's doing is really waiting on him. But then also like he is realizing like, Hey, if I, if I do this, like these are the kinds of people I'm going to be spending time with. It's like yeah, I had relationships. Like kind of- I had friendships with people who actually liked me and treated me like someone who they cared about. And like, this is this, these two guys are going to be my two best friends now. Like these two total. Tools, you know, and, yeah, they're like
1: kind of like unstable and
0: so I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's it, it actually almost reminded me a little bit of. I, I think, I think there's there's a bit here where you can kind of argue that you know even the little amount that Quark does is too much, which I think is probably true. Like like the weapons he's selling right away, you know, he shouldn't have been doing that either. Although again, that kind of gets into like the whole Frankie, you know, how how their 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 moral code being a little different, but but like the it really this episode kind of reminded me of some of the stuff we've been talking about lately with Gold Ducat and how you know Gold Ducat is always someone who kind of wants wants his progressive friends to like him but ultimately is going to do whatever he needs to do to benefit gold Ducat it's interesting to see this episode because this is kind of a same this like a similar thing that quark is confronted with but then ultimately instead of Like, when faced with, like, the thing he wants and the thing that he feels like is the right thing to do, he does ultimately choose the right thing.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting, because I feel like it it is interesting to kind of, because essentially what, what happens, I guess, just to wrap up that that story is that quirk decides to do the right thing and so kind of does this sort of bit of subterfuge where he actually invites the general that's rebelling against the regent to also come and buy weapons and then like gets them both in the same room and they start fighting and the whole thing kind of breaks down
0: yeah, for, whatever, for, for like a pretty serious episode, it kind of has like a very, very, like, almost like Threes Company style like, yeah, resolution. Yeah, just like, all right,
1: just, well, you know, meet me in the shuttle bay, and then kind of like runs down the halls to the other room, and he's like, come on, let's go to the shuttle bay, and... Yeah,
0: and then it just runs away. <laughs> yeah, and then and then basically, I think uh, the, yeah, the regent is killed, and then Gala and Haggath get away, but they're being chased by the general, so they'll probably be arrested or killed or something. So he yeah he ultimately gets off he gets off scot free, except for that he had just finished paying off all of his debts from the weapon sales that he had done, but then he basically goes right back in debt to Starfleet because they make him repay for all the damages to the to the storage bay.
1: And so, yeah, so it's an interesting, because I feel like we've, in some of the stuff we've had with Quark before, there's always kind of this, this sort of tension of, like, how much of a conscience does Quark really have and versus is he, like, at the end of the day, is Quark just going to kind of do in some way what's best for Quark? And, like, oftentimes that ends up also being the right thing. Like, in something like Ferengi Love Songs, you know, I don't know that he's definitely Necessarily, like getting his mom and the Negus back together because he like believes in love conquering all or women having rights or any of that as much as that's kind of how everything is going to work out best for everybody of like Ferengi's society doesn't break down and like he'll still get back into the guild and he kind of like makes all yeah. that work. You know, does like at the end of the like how much of a conscience does Quark have or like has he... I think you can definitely make a case that he's, like, been influenced and sort of seen a different side from his friends on Deep Space Nine and, like, the Federation and that. Um And, like, will not necessarily always do the most sort of Ferengi thing. But, yeah, I think this one especially is, is at least of what I've seen, one of the most clear of just, like, Quark cannot... Right? Like, he can't stomach doing something truly evil and is... Like, just actually, like, makes the decision to just do the right thing because of the right thing and, like, the value of life and those things.
0: But, yeah, he still feels, you know, but he still kind of did go along with it for a while, too. I I think I was, you know, I was reading a little bit on the Memory Alpha about this episode and, you know, someone asked one of the writers if Quark would have gone ahead with the deal if if fewer people were going to die, which which, which you kind of already was, because you saw him selling weapons, because selling people, other weapons, you
1: know?
0: yeah. A- and and the one of the writers, uh, Bradley Thompson, replied, "We just found one line of Quark's creed that he wouldn't cross. We haven't found the bottom line yet." Which I which I mm-hmm. was like, "Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good encapsulation of that character because I, I think he is like one of the more complex characters in D- DS Nine, where you're kind of." He 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 does ride this very weird, you know, line a very like a very like human line of like self interest versus you know versus empathy and, and like I think most people don't necessarily have like a an actual I think people are complicated and and like yeah. sometimes they come down on, on, on one way and, some, and sometimes the other way and I don't know I I liked about about him a lot
1: yeah. And I will say, like you know, they kind of show during the kind of middle period where like he is selling weapons and successful, and like you know, making use of his hollow suites, and and even when you know with the scene with like the food for the regent and everything, like you, I feel like they do show how good of a like salesman he is in that sense of yeah. kind of like you know, sort of what his strength is is like the, like finding connections with people and making them feel at ease, and like really like you know, knowing like what what people want and what's going to work for them, and and how to, you know, relate to them in that way. Like, he's very good at just the the actual, like, salesmanship of it all.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, he's, yeah, I really, I really like him a lot. He's, he's a really good character. Yeah. And I, I think Armin Shimmerman does a great, a great job. I, I also just liked about this episode, one reason I liked it is that, again, like, this is, I'm going to keep beating this drum, that, like, DS9 is, like, the actual most progressive, like most lefty Star Trek show. You know, this is this show is just about like how <laughs> arms dealers are scum, about how like gun, kind of like about how gumshoe show loopholes are terrible, and like just about just about war profiteering you know like and straight up that's what it's about And, and and again it's just one of those things where it's like by by just simply speaking these truths frankly like the show kind of ends up becoming timeless in a way because you know right now we're you know we're we're recording this like as the u.s is leaving afghanistan after 20 years and essentially it's you know, there is no, there is no, uh, decent interval, you know, between us leaving and the Taliban taking back over like there was in Vietnam. And, and it's becoming like, if it wasn't already completely apparent, it's becoming even more apparent that like, we weren't actually doing anything over there, that nothing, nothing happened long term that would, that would outlast our occupation. Well, the only thing we were doing is we were making like, you know, five defense contractors, like really, really, really wealthy. And, and so like, again, like they kind of, Hit upon something that I think is, you know, more universal. And I think still, unfortunately, you know, still stands the the test of time as this kind of, like, really kind of, like, upright moral rebuke to this kind of behavior. And the, I also appreciated it for that. Like, I, I like... I, I think that DS9 is... You know, when it comes to like actual like current events stuff, I think they're they're one of the better Star Trek shows in actually adjudicating mm-hmm. that stuff. You know, as opposed to like Voyager, where where it'll be like we're going to do an episode about the death yeah. penalty, and then kind of at the end, kind of you know botch the, the landing <laughs> right, a little like bit,
1: missed the missed the point. Yeah,
0: I I didn't really take any notes on this episode because I was just kind of I was very engaged in it. I don't know, I I, I like this one a lot. I I was although I will say, you know, I want to I want to hear what you have, but I. I did, I was looking at some of the trivia and on uh, Memory Alpha and Cork mentions that when, when he's at the beginning, when he's talking about his debts, he says that he, his, his, his futures in uh, quadratri, quadratri, triticali is, have dried up, which is the grain that's in Trouble of Troubles.
1: <laughs> oh, really? So he, yeah, so
0: he's he's investing in that grain, but apparently it's 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 not. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there was an over. You know, the farmers overproduced it or something. So That's right. It's, yeah, it's, it's not
1: a, uh, not a good my business anymore. proposition. Yeah.
0: Um. Well. well actually, duh, Before we. So I want to hear your notes, but before we talk about that, I forgot we have to talk about
1: oh the B plot. The B plot.
0: <laughs> I mean, like.
1: I mean, three, we kind of <laughs> did. That, like, like the basically minutes, the B plot yeah. is. Keiko is off doing whatever Keiko is usually doing. I feel like and again maybe it's just a, a selection of what we've seen, but I feel like they definitely do a thing where like Keiko is either always gone or like briefly coming back or leaving in all the episodes we watch.
0: Yeah, she she's she lives there for the first year or two and then I was I actually read that they wrote her off the show. They kind of wrote her off the show, or at least they wrote her off appearing regularly because they wanted to play up the O'Brien uh, Bashir relationship.
1: Oh, uh, it's just kind of ha- having have, like more time to.
0: Yeah, because yeah. she runs a she runs a school on the sh- on the ship in the first in the first season of the show. Hmm. But so she's on the, she's on the first season quite a bit. But, but yeah, then after that, yeah. she kind of takes her her biology job.
1: Um. But yeah, essentially, like O'Brien is having to take care of their their new baby and basically as long as he is holding the baby it's like quiet and sleeps and any time he ever sets it down or like gives it to someone else it starts crying and so he spends almost the entire show just basically like carrying the baby around with him wherever he goes and like goes to work in engineering while he's holding the baby and like plays darts with a with a Bashir while he's holding the baby and then like at the end the it like he like sets the baby down and the baby doesn't cry and he's like oh good that that's better now
0: and then he like immediately falls and asleep, then he falls asleep. Yeah. yeah
1: it's kind of an awkward b plot that seems kind of like a little shoehorn in there and also doesn't really tell much of a story
0: yeah there's no really rising or falling action and this is kind of like
1: it just kind of like shows off like some situations in which o'brien is wandering around carrying a baby
0: yeah and I don't really mind it because I like I like Cole Meany so much. I think he's just such a such an appealing screen presence. But yeah, there's just not really a lot to do. it. Does, it doesn't interact with anything. It did like allow a really
1: a, a fun little Jake Cisco is useless scene at the pretty at the very beginning. <laughs> right, where
0: Jake Cisco's like, I can babysit him, no problem.
1: Yeah, and then like one second later, the baby starts crying, and Jake's like, I don't know what to do. And yeah, O'Brien's like, Okay, like, I'll take it back. Go that's away.
0: The whole that's what babysitting is. You have to deal with that stuff sometimes, you know? But it's like, you know, he, he mentioned he babysat some other alien kids, too. And I'm like, what did they just not? They didn't cry or anything? Like, they didn't, they didn't, you didn't have to do anything you didn't want to do while you are watching them? You know, that's, I get bad news yeah. for like, that's, that's what watching kids <laughs> is. But yeah, so any any other, any other notes from you? Any other things you wanted to highlight in this episode? Yeah,
1: I didn't take very many notes either. The, one, the only other thing I said, I mentioned was that I think my favorite moment was, so when Quirk has, like, decided he's gonna, you know, like, give up weapons dealing and sort of s- sabotage this deal, like, he goes to tell facts about it. Yeah. Um, I think, again, to, like, because he's, like, she's, like, the person that he thinks he has the best chance of, like, being his friend and, like, getting, like, some sympathy from. And and she just, like, does not want to hear it. Like, he, he basically just kind of gives this sort of noble speech to a closed door and gets no response at all. And he's being like, all right, well... Off I go. You may never see me again after this, but what's one for Engie life against twenty million lives that I'm going to save? Yeah. Like, does, like keeps trying to give like this noble, sacrificial like speech, and just again, like she's just like, okay, go already. Like from behind a locked door.
0: <laughs> yeah, I liked that scene too because I think that the the show gives him the respect that that deserves, which is that does it doesn't reserve respect. Like, like that that he's kind of like, oh look, I'm I'm very noble because i was doing this really unethical thing and i'm I'm going to stop stop. (laughs) yeah which is like it's got some real like
1: like you don't get credit for that
0: yeah it's it's got some real i'm so glad i didn't kill my daughter vibes again speaking of of golden Cot, where it's like you know (laughs) you want a medal like what do you (laughs) you know but yeah i i thought that was a good that's a good scene too so anyway i i dug this one i I thought it was a a fun one or not even yeah a fun one but like also just like a yeah a good a good Solid bit of uh, Star Trek moralizing. So yeah, speaking of some kind of fun DS9 episodes, although you know, ones that maybe work more or less for one of us than the other. Uh, next time <laughs> we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about another DS9 episode. Uh, it's called Fascination. It is DS9 season three, episode ten. We come out every other week, so you can come back in a couple Sundays and listen to that episode. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at contracts. You can follow us uh you can follow us on youtube at out of contracts you can email us at out of contracts at gmail.com or you can visit our website out of contracts are spelled T- c-o-n-t-r-e-k-s you can also check out the other shows that are on the uh kaleidoscope media podcast network which we are a part of there's here's johnny which is a horror media podcast that's how science works which is a science and pop culture podcast and wizard studies which is about harry potter and yeah so we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks thanks everybody for listening
1: thanks everybody bye